I did fail to mention at the beginning of the service what you all are probably feeling in this moment, that our air conditioning is once again not working. So just a quick note, if you do need to cool off, the lobby area is actually air conditioned. So kudos to you guys in the back. You got the nice spot there. Good job. Well, open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 4. As we continue our sermon series, our goal over the next several weeks, as Pastor Nate said, is to help us as a congregation, you as an individual, re-engage with our mission, which is to help ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ. And today we're going to focus on the actual message of the gospel. What is the gospel? What is Peter out there preaching that was so powerful that over 2,000 people come to faith in one sermon? Well, as we do that, you'll notice that the message is on one hand rather exclusive. You know, Peter is talking to people who outright reject that Jesus is the Messiah. They're unbelievers. He looks them straight in the eye and he says, the only way for you to be saved is under the name of Jesus. Highly offensive to people not only in that culture, but people in our own culture. Maybe people in your own lives that you know that don't have the same shared faith that you have. Or maybe you yourself are here wrestling and trying to figure out what you do believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if that is you, I'm so glad that you're here today. Because not only is the message that we hear exclusive, yes, but paradoxically, the one who gives that message is so radically inclusive with his love. We're going to look at those two things, the exclusive nature of the message, as well as the exclusiveness, the radical love of the message giver. Now, uh, we do need to back up just a little bit. So if you have your Bible with you, go with me to Acts 3. Let's set the stage of what led to Peter and John being in prison in the first place. And it says that Peter and John were coming to the temple for a time of prayer. And as they're walking to the temple, a guy in the seating area, right as you're walking up to the temple, catches their eyes. He's a man who'd been crippled from birth. So try to picture this poor guy in your mind. His legs are completely shriveled up. He has to have somebody carry him there every day so he can beg for money. Peter and John see him. The guy sees Peter and John. And this has probably happened to some of you as you're walking down the street and you see somebody who's begging for money. You know, a lot of times in our culture, we kind of put our hands in our pocket and we turn our head down and we just hope that they don't see us. We say, I don't have any money. Now, Peter and John say the same thing. They say, I don't have any money, but what I do have is in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk, and miraculously, this man, the strength returns to his legs and his ankles, the text tells us, and he's not only walking, he is leaping for joy. He's jumping up and down. He's river dancing through the temple streets. I won't river dance for you. I tried it last night. It was not pretty, was it? These guys saw it. Now, of course, this causes a big scene because this guy's been crippled from birth. He can't walk. And everybody who goes to the temple walks by this guy every day. And in that culture, in that custom, it was, it was normal for people to give as part of their charitable giving, their almsgiving to the poor. That's how they met their daily bread. And now they see this guy walking and leaping for joy, and they all gather around. They're like, what in the world are we seeing here? And Peter, verse 11, he realizes the opportunity that God has given him. He seizes the moment, and he preaches the gospel. 
He connects Abraham and Moses and all the prophets to Jesus. He says, this is the center of scripture. It's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He has risen from the dead and we've seen him. Incredibly, look with me back now, verse four, chapter four. It says that the number of men came to about 5,000. Just a few days earlier was Pentecost and 3,000 come to faith in Christ. Now 2,000 more are added to them. And this was like on a two-minute sermon. <laughs> Nate, we probably should pay attention to that. You know, short, short. <laughs> Powerful testimony. Now, of course, there's a consequence to this. That's the good news. All these people coming to Christ and having faith in Christ. The, the negative side of that is now the disciples are facing persecution for the very first time. The religious leaders, they don't like it. I love how Luke describes this. He says that they were greatly annoyed <laughs> because of their teaching. It reminds me of when somebody comes to your house and tries to sell you solar panels. Or perhaps you've had the experience where missionaries from other faith come to your house and they ring your doorbell and they say, they want to tell you about uh, the Mormon faith or Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, I will confess, sidebar, time out. When that happens for me, I actually have an evil little, <laughs> <laughs> come into my home, have a seat. Can I pour you a cup of coffee? This is what grace tastes like, by the way. Just let that sink in. It's a, it's a slow burn. You'll get it eventually. <laughs> the religious leaders are annoyed. Eventually, that turns to frustration and anger. They throw Peter and John in prison. The religious leaders gather around. They say, what should we do about this person preaching in the name of Jesus? And they hold them up. They let them defend themselves. And listen to what Peter says, verse 12. And there is salvation. That word salvation, it means to rescue, to bring someone to safety. There is rescue, there is safety in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that word must in the Greek, again it implies whether you know it or not that you are lost, that you actually need rescuing. And there's people in this world today that don't know they need rescuing, don't know that they're drowning, don't know that they're dying a death away from the love and the security of Jesus Christ. And Peter doesn't pull any punches. He, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's looking at his enemies right in the face, and he says, there is no other name under heaven in which you must be saved. You can imagine the offense that these Jewish believers took at that very strongly worded presentation of the gospel. It's an exclusive truth. Now, as we kind of jump ourselves out of the story, let's think about our own lives today. I would argue, and probably you've experienced this before, that that kind of truth claim is offensive in our culture. You probably know people who wrestle with what Peter is saying here, that if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't get the gifts of eternal life. You don't get the gifts of the forgiveness of sins. I, I recognize that maybe even here today, some of you are wrestling with that. And I've got a friend, uh, we see him once a year, some couple times a year, and ultimately because he's a seeker, uh, we get in a conversation that goes like this. My friend asks me, he says, so you're telling me that just because I don't believe that about Jesus, that I'm going to hell, that I don't get all the good things that you get just because you do believe in Jesus. It's a heavy conversation, right? Well, here's a pro-apologetic tip, something that I picked up along the way. Uh, what I do in that moment is, is I say something like this. Well, I'm not saying that. Peter's saying that. See, I just throw Peter under the bus. It's a lot easier. It kind of lightens the mood a little bit. 
But ultimately, Peter is pointing to things he heard Jesus say about himself. In fact, we read this in our gospel reading. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. It's a difficult truth for us to sit on and wrestle on today in this culture, especially if we have loved ones, coworkers, neighbors, family members that are far from Jesus. I know that it is difficult. I live it. Which is why we need to move beyond the exclusiveness of this claim that Jesus is making and also remember that the one who gives that message, his love is radically, radically inclusive. There's not been a love like this in the entire universe up until Jesus. And here's what I mean. Let's go to some verses that we know. John three sixteen, For God so loved the who? World. Every nation, every culture, Every people group in time. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. In John 3, 17, very important verse. He says, I have not come to condemn the world, but to what? Save the world. That's at the heartbeat of God. He has love in his heart for you. He has love in his heart for your neighbor. He has love in his heart for your husband or your children or your grandparent who don't believe. He will never stop pursuing it. And he shows us this in what we call parables. He, all throughout the Gospels, he gives us these parables, including the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, where the son in this parable, uses all the wealth of the father, half the wealth of the father. He embarrasses his dad. He despises his dad, but then at some point he runs out of money. He comes running back to dad, and instead of punishing this prodigal son, what does the father do? He embraces the son and loves him. He welcomes him back. He throws a lavish party for the son. That is the heartbeat of God. That's the inclusiveness of God's love. I think of what John records in John 10, 10, for I have come, Jesus says, to give life and to give life in abundance. There's an abundance of God's love out for this world. That's who Jesus is. That's his heart. And I think a really good place for us to see the heart of God is actually in the parable of the sower. Do you know the parable of the sower? It's a story about a farmer that Jesus tells, and this farmer has a, a bag of seed, and with Abandoned, the farmer takes the seed and just throws it out into the wind. Some of the seed lands on good soil and crop grows up. And the good application of that parable is that in that moment, this is Jesus describing a person who receives the seed of faith, receives the gospel, responds to it, believes, and grows up to be a disciple of Jesus. But then there's other seed that scatters on rocky ground, on the path, uh, it gets caught up in weeds, and that's what Jesus is saying happens to somebody who hears the gospel and rejects it or has a moment of clarity and has a little bit of faith, but then as life gets going, it gets harder and harder for that person. They reject the gospel message and they wander from faith. And look, that, that's a really good application of that parable. That's good. But what we sometimes miss is the one who's giving this parable is Jesus. And what does that tell us about his heart? Well, for example, what good farmer takes seed and just throws it in places hoping that it lands and, and crops grow up? That's an irresponsible farmer. That's bad stewardship. No farmer does that. But we see in Jesus, he's just throwing the seeds of his gospel. He doesn't care where it goes. He doesn't care how much it costs him. He doesn't care how much might be wasted because he wants every person to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, their Savior. Paul talks about that in a letter to 1 Timothy. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. That is the heartbeat of God. He throws the seed with abandon. 
And then we see that he's willing to prove that he loves us even more by his death on the cross, where on that cross, think about what Jesus did. Not everybody believed in him in that moment in time. In fact, he had enemies spitting on him, punching him, nailing him to the cross. He still died for those people, even though they rejected him and didn't believe in him. His blood emptied, he emptied himself of his blood. His blood dripped out of the cross and onto the hard ground, and he gave his life so that we could know today, so that you could know today that there is nothing in this world God won't do to pursue you, to chase you down, to give you of himself, his reckless, abandoned, uh, self-abandoning love. He will do whatever it takes to bring you in. That is the gospel. That is the God who, yes, says you must believe in him, but what steps has he done to win you to himself? It's just an incredible love that we do not see in this earth anywhere. Now, that's what we know. You know, our mission is to help ordinary people know about extraordinary life in Christ. What about sharing it? This is where it gets a little bit tricky. Am I right? If I were to ask you some of the excuses, what are some of the excuses you have given before for not talking about Jesus, for not pointing out Jesus? It might be because it's an awkward conversation. Uh, Oftentimes people say, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I, I don't want to push that person further away from Jesus. You know, think of your excuse, whatever it is, and I've got my own. There's been many times I've failed at this as well. Let's look at Peter's example and how he shows us actually just how easy it is to point to Jesus. Back in our text, chapter 4, look at verse 7. So the religious leaders pull Peter and John out, and they're going to question him, and they say, by what power or by what name did you do this? In other words, how did you do this? It says that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said to them, rulers of the people and elders... If we were being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, there's a part of the gospel, see? It is by Jesus, his name, that this man is standing before you well. And you see what Peter did? He took all the pressure off himself. There's nothing he could offer here really of himself. All he's doing is pointing to the one who has the actual power to save, to Jesus Christ. He is literally taking the seeds of the gospel and throwing it out there, irregardless of what the people believed or thought. He's throwing seed. He's trying to cast the gospel in the hopes that one of those little seeds will land on a good part of soil in the heart of those who are listening. And you see, we can do the exact same thing. It's so easy. I'll give you an example of what it looks like Just one of our mission trips that we do is to actually go to Yisleta Lutheran Mission. We sent a team last Thanksgiving, and we partnered with them to provide food for people across the border. And people ate. Look at this beautiful little girl. And bellies were fed. And this is so important. We as Christians are called to do acts of mercy. Hear me on this. We're supposed to give generously to those who don't have. It's a call that God gives us. But then, at every mission site that we went to, one of the pastors, one of the lay leaders, one of the deaconesses, they took an opportunity to tell the people where that food came from. This is not a gift from us, the pastor would say. This is a gift from Jesus. Jesus gave us these things, and we just want to give it to you so that you can eat and feed your belly, yes, but then also you can eat and feed your soul. 
the emptiness that you feel, the hopelessness that you feel. It's a gift from Jesus. He's offering himself to you right now. And what they were doing is they were just taking the seeds of the gospel and throwing it out and hoping that someone might catch it and the Holy Spirit might transform their heart. They would hear a message that they hadn't heard before. And then Paul says this, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You ever think of your feet as beautiful? I think feet are gross. <laughs> Disgusting. Paul says they're beautiful. He's quoting Isaiah. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Not you. It's a word about Christ. So practically speaking, as we close, here's some suggestions, some way we could live this out in our life. Tomorrow... You're going to go to work, or you're going to go to some place because you have the advantage of being retired. Maybe it's the grocery store. We've got students here today. You're going to go to school, and let's just say somebody comes to you, and they've got a problem. They've got a concern on their heart, and they vent to you, or they, they talk to you. In that moment, by you taking the time out of your day to listen, you're actually ministering to them. You are giving acts of mercy to them by giving of yourself. Now, what would it look like? If at the end of that conversation you said, hey, do you think I could pray about that with you? They would do what you're doing to me right now, going, no, I don't know, maybe. But what if they said, sure, that would be great. What you're doing in that moment is taking the seeds of the gospel, you're just throwing it out into the wind. And yes, they might think you're a little bit weird, they might think you're a little bit strange, but so what? Jesus died for you. Jesus emptied of himself. He gave you all his love in his heart so that you can then go and share it with other people who don't have it. See, that's how the gospel works. Students in here in the room today, I know how hard it is to be in middle school and high school. I was there once. I know it doesn't look like it, but believe it or not, I was young once. What would it look like if one of your friends who gets picked on at school and is bullied, what if you pulled them aside and you stood up for them and you sat with them at lunch? And you love them through what they're getting picked on. And then if they might ask you why, why are you doing this? All you have to say is, well, because Jesus loves me and because of Jesus, I love you. You're taking the gospel seeds. You're throwing it out in the wind. You're hoping by the Holy Spirit that it lands. We make it too complicated sometimes. Our job to help ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ, all we have to do is point here is point to the one who has real power, point to the one who can rescue, who can save, and, and maybe there's somebody in your life who you, you've tried this before and you're worried about them. I'll close with this. This summer, Amanda and I were at a church uh, visiting during the time of sabbatical, and this 98-year-old woman could barely walk. They had to help her to the baptismal font. At 98 years old, Receive the waters of baptism. Her family is weeping. Amanda and I are weeping. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> the entire church overwhelmed with joy and emotion because this woman in her older age, ah, we have no idea, you guys, what God is up to. The power that he has to change hearts and to change lives, what he asks us to do is throw those seeds of the gospel. May we not as individuals, as a family of faith, be about that mission to help ordinary people know and share extraordinary life in Christ. Amen. Amen.